And we are starting a new sermon series looking at the book of Titus. Now, Titus was written by a bloke called Paul. Um, Paul started off as being a persecutor of the church. He would hunt out Christians. And we have a case in Acts of someone being killed, Stephen, under his approval. But he uh, meets with Jesus in a very spectacular way and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And instead of hunting and tearing down churches, he ends up building churches. And much of the New Testament is made up of letters written by Paul to churches that he has started uh, in that region. And it's, it's, it's letters to help them become better followers of Jesus and work together better as a church. And that's what this letter to Titus is and our title of our sermon series is called dare to be different dare to be different towards the end of uh, last year uh, we picked up on our mission statement our vision statement over the next few years of us in this church being a light a light that cannot be contained a light that cannot be hidden that both corporately as a church but also as individuals we will shine out the people will see through us something about the god that we worship and uh, that's what we want to be we want to let our light shine and really in this sermon series we're going to be picking up on how we can do that as a church and also as individuals what could that look like and that's what this sermon series over the next well six sundays five parts because next sunday won't be part of it because it's the churches for holy service. That's what we're going to be looking at. So, we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4. What I'd recommend to you, you might want to go home and read through Titus. It will take you literally 5 to 10 minutes. It's not, you can see if you're looking in your Bible, it is not very long. Uh, so you might want to go home, don't read it while I'm preaching I'm not that boring. Um, but when, maybe when you get home, just take an opportunity just to read through it when you've got a f- five or ten minutes, just to give you that overall picture. And we'll, but we're going to be breaking it down each week. So one verses, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. But before we do that, a question for you. I hope... Okay, that's our new series. Who are you? Who are you? If you could describe yourself in a couple of sentences, what would you say? What would you pick up on? Usually, usually we pick up on those things that are the most important to us. It might be our family, it might be our job, it might be our nationality, it might be our gender. Who are you? I've noticed on Facebook now you can write a little bio about uh, yourself. And on Twitter they've had it for a while. Here's some examples of what people have written about themselves. So, Bold, unreliable, easily distract. (laughs) That's one. Here's another one. I was planning to be the first black president. Well, Barack ruined that. Here's another one. God gave me a lot of hair, but not a lot of height. Okay, maybe some insecurities coming out there. Here's another one. Pale, awkward, and very, very small. Form an orderly queue, gents. Oh, dear. And another one, I'm actually not funny, I'm just really mean, and people think I am joking. <laughs> and, and the last one, my hobbies are breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> Any, anyone like that? I have to admit, I'm going to struggle with this week of fasting, I must admit, because 
I can't survive a day without food. It makes life worth living, really. But um, how would you describe yourself? Who are you? Often what we put betrays our insecurities, our prejudices, our vices, our priorities when we think about who you are. And this passage we're about to read, we get introduced to three identities, three persons. Titus, Paul and God. Let's read this together. So Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. So here we've got an introduction to the letter. So three personalities, three persons, uh, and we're not going to do it in the order of the letter. The first one is Titus. Probably quite important you find out who Titus was, because that's who the letter was written to. We don't know a huge amount about Titus. It's mentioned in 2 Corinthians, it's mentioned in Galatians, and obviously it's mentioned in this letter. But he was a Greek he was a non-Jew, he was a Gentile, so he wasn't, he wasn't brought up in the Jewish faith, he wasn't circumcised, he was a Greek uh, uh, guy. Uh, probably originally from Antioch, which is in modern day Turkey, it was part of Greece at that time. And he had worked previously quite a lot with Paul. We know that he travelled with Paul for a while, Paul and Barnabas, and we know that he was particularly, um, Paul, Paul was very proud of of Titus. He was very impressed by him and therefore he used him in some difficult situations. We know that he was used in the church of Corinth. If you read 1 Corinthians, you know that the church was very messed up. In 2 Corinthians, things have improved quite a bit. In 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions Titus having quite a key role in turning that church around. And here we have in the book of Titus, Titus, that guy who has worked with Paul and Paul is trusts to do a good job. Titus is now put on the island of Crete to carry on the work that Paul had started. I'm not going to talk much about that because we're going to pick up on that in later parts of this sermon series. But let's just say that Crete was a pretty difficult place and there was a lot that needed sorting out in that church. So that's Titus. That's about as much as we know about Titus. But actually the second personality we're going to pick up on, which Paul wants to talk about, is God. And Paul picks up on three things. In verse 2 he says, it's a God who does not lie. In verse 3 he says, it's a God our Saviour. And in verse 4 he says, God the Father. And I just want to pick up on those things, because we might be able to look at that and think, okay, yeah, that makes sense, we know that God, but to the people that... Paul was writing to, they were used to a whole range of gods. Now, if you've done any classical uh, literature, or you just like watching films, you know about the gods of the Greeks and the Romans. And uh, Zeus was the 
chief god. He was a king of the gods. And uh, these were basically, if you wanted to describe them, they were superhuman beings. If you think of your superhero, who likes superhero films? I like superhero films. You think of them being a little bit like your superheroes, your Captain Americas. Your, maybe not your Iron Man, he was just very good at science. But uh, Thor's a good one. Uh, so those people who were superhuman strength. But the problem with these gods, like, along with their superhuman abilities, came superhuman problems and superhuman personalities issues. And these gods were maybe not like the god we would know. These gods were basically human beings on steroids who basically not only with their super strength got things incredibly wrong. That makes their stories very interesting if you read their mythology. They're doing all sorts of bad things. They're falling out with people and one another. They're getting in fights. There's wars. There's all sorts of things. And Zeus, the king of the gods, was known as being a trickster he was very good at disguising himself. He often came down to mingle with the human beings, the mere mortals, and change his appearance. He was known as a deceiver, and he was also known as a seducer. He had lots of babies with various human uh, women around the place. And Zeus, the people on Crete believed, was born on that was his birthplace, the island of Crete. And therefore the Cretans were very proud of Zeus and would like to base themselves on Zeus. They took pride in the fact that Zeus was a trickster, that Zeus was a deceiver, that Zeus was a seducer. And actually they based themselves partly on that. They took pride in those things. And we'll pick up more on that probably in the next sermon. Paul had to state... Straight away, right at the beginning of this letter, that the God that we worship, Yahweh, the Lord of Lords, is not anything like these gods that you are so familiar with. He is nothing like Zeus. Don't look at Zeus and think, oh, that's, we just changed the name a bit, but basically it's the same. God is completely different to the Zeus that you're so proud of. Zeus will lie, but we worship a God, we follow a God who does not lie. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that Paul makes this particular thing about this being a God that does not lie? Well, it's really important that we worship a God who is a God of his word, because our faith is built on a foundation of a promise. At the beginning of time, God made a promise to us that we have the hope of eternal life. That we have the hope that we can spend our eternity with our heavenly Father. That we need not die, but we can live forever. And the problem is, if we don't believe in a God that keeps his words and keeps his promises, if we think that God is a liar, just like Zeus, then we have no foundation for our faith. So Paul, right from the beginning, says, we have a secure hope. We have a firm foundation in our lives and in our faith, because we worship a God who does not lie. And this hope of eternal life is not based on, on the whim of a God's, or by the works that we do, or by chance. So these Greeks, they, never, they didn't know what these gods were going to do. They didn't know whether they were going to be in favour of them or, or in trouble. They didn't know whether they were going to, these gods were going to trick them, 
or whether they're going to bless them. Their lives were insecure and they did the best they could and worked as, and were as good as they could be on the hope that they would be in the favour of the gods. We have a God who doesn't work that way. God has made a promise and he will keep it regardless of what we do and by our works. Because in verse 3, Paul says that we have a God who is our saviour. We have a God who came to earth. We talk about Christmas, baby boy, but it's so much more than that. We have a God who rid himself of all his powers, moved from heaven and came to earth as a baby boy so that we might be saved. This is so different to a Zeus who came down to earth to trick people and basically have a few more children. This is a God who made himself nothing and died on the cross to save us so that we might spend eternity with, him, with us, with him. Why? In verse 4, because he's a God who is our father. We worship a God who is fair. We worship a God who is just. We worship a God who is holy, who is righteous, who is different, who is set apart. We worship a God who is loving, unchanging. We worship a God who is unfathomable, unmeasurable. We worship a God who is good and kind. As Chris reminded us of that C.S. Lewis quote last Sunday evening, we don't worship a God who is safe. But we do worship a God who is good. And Paul wants to highlight this straight away, this difference between the gods of the Greeks and the gods of creation. Now when I was at college, they asked, in one particular lecture, well series of lectures, they said, "What, what sort of God do you believe in and so what? What sort of God do you believe in And so what? If you believe God is like this, then how does that affect who you are? The way you live your life, the morals that you have, the decisions that you make in life. Because so often, how we live our life is based on the gods that we worship. So if you believe in Zeus, who's a liar, a deceiver, a seducer, a trickster, then that will have an influence on the way you live your life. Because you will promote those values you see in the gods that you worship. So if you believe in a God, if we worship a God who does not lie, who is our saviour, who we can trust, who is our loving Heavenly Father, how does that affect who you are? How does it affect your identity? What kind of God do you believe in and so what? And that's when we come to our third personality in this letter, Paul. The guy who wrote it. The guy who made such a huge turnaround in his life from going from persecuting the church to building the church. Seeing Christians murdered to actually wanting Christians to be stronger and be who they truly were called to be. Well, Paul says in his letter, he says, Paul, a servant of God, could be a bondservant, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's two things he picks up on here. A slave of God. We've picked up on numerous times uh, this idea of being a slave, being in service, is, is as being our proper worship. It's 24-7 our ministry, who we are, what we do. 
And the key thing about a slave and a servant is what? I've been watching Downton Abbey, by the way. I'm a little bit late doing it. I've just finished season one and I'm season two now. If you haven't seen Downton Abbey, it's, too, it's a bit like upstairs and downstairs. You've got upstairs the, the lord and lady and all the family and downstairs you've got the servants. And the servants do what they are told. They're there to serve the lord and lady. They don't make decisions over what the lord and lady do. The lord and lady make decisions over what the servants do. And Paul is basically saying, that is my status to God. I am a servant, a slave of God. And that's a key thing about when you become a Christian. is actually you are saying, Jesus, you are Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, then that makes us the servant. And that means that I am no longer in control of what I do, how I live my life. And the decisions I make. Now we have a God who blesses us enormously. And gives us a huge amount of leeway. And journeys with us. But ultimately when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. You hand over the reins of your life. To Jesus. At least you should do. Not always that easy. Is it? In fact it's almost impossible. And maybe you're going through life. But actually it's a journey of giving more and more control. Over to Jesus. But Paul states right at the beginning of the letter, I am a servant of God. I'm not doing these things because I choose to do them. I'm doing it because God has commanded me to do them. So he's a slave, he's a servant. And also an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now apostle means to be sent. And there's possibly two reasons he put this. First of all, there were the apostles of the early church. Those original disciples of Jesus Christ who were anointed with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, who had positions of authority within the church and were sent out to all those those, uh, people in those areas to tell people about Jesus Christ. Jesus sent them out. And Paul, although he wasn't one of those original bunch, he wasn't a disciple of Jesus Christ, as I said, he was a persecutor of the church, he counted himself as one of those apostles because Jesus met with him on the road to, road to Damascus, and had sent him. So there's an authority in this. They're saying, you can trust what I'm going to say. This letter is important because I am an apostle. But actually, there's also a sense of actually we're all sent. We're all apostles. We are slaves and servants to God for a reason, because we are being sent out into the world to build the kingdom of God, to tell people about Jesus, to disciple, to baptize. That is our purpose. It's not just Paul's, it's all of ours. But something I want to say key about Paul, I want to bring this as we kind of come to the, the latter part of this sermon, is that what Paul has done here, we're naming himself in his description, in his bio, first and foremost, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is that he has discovered the difference between his description and his definition. He has discovered the difference between his description and his definition. Let me explain that. Once I got accosted by a policeman, plainclothes policeman in Ipswich Town Centre, when I was about 19 years old, and he said to me, would you mind being part of an identity parade? And I went, no, I'm all right, thanks. He said, I'll pay you a fiver. Okay, that's fine. So I, I, he said, okay, here's my card. You need to turn up at the police station at this time. 
and we'll sort it all out. So I turned up at the police station, went in reception, I sat down, I looked around, I was like, there's lots of people who look rather like me, all sitting around, waiting for this ID parade. And we went downstairs to the bowels of the police station where all the, pr- all the cells were, and we all sat there, and they brought in the prisoner, the accused, with his lawyer, and his job was to go around all of us and choose who he wanted to be in his ID parades. So basically he chose the ones he, he thought looked the most like him. Fortunately I didn't get choose, so it might have been quite interesting. My description may have matched the accused, but that wasn't who I am. There is a huge difference between your description and your definition. How you describe yourself and actually who you actually are. See, Paul, the slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to his letter in the, the, to the church in Philippi, he says, look, you want to know, who, you want to know my description? You want me to describe myself? Well, I am am a circumcised Israelite. I'm a member. I'm a part of God's chosen nation. I am the Hebrew of Hebrews. When it comes to law keeping, I am faultless. When it comes to zealous, we should have seen the way I persecuted the church. I am, when it comes to legalities, I am righteous. But I count all of that as nothing. I count it as a loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ. His description may have been an Israelite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, faultless. But his description was nothing compared to his identity in Jesus Christ. His description was nothing compared to his definition of who he was in Jesus Christ. To the church in Galatia, he says, there is neither Jew nor non-Jew. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female. Because we're all one in Jesus Christ. Now does that mean that it wasn't important whether you were Jew or non-Jew? That it wasn't important whether you were slave or free? It's not important whether you're male or female? No, Paul is not saying that. Our description, how you describe yourself, is important. But ultimately, it is nothing, it is lost compared to your definition, which is found in Jesus Christ. See, in the Bible, it makes it very clear, it makes it very black and white about what your definition is, about who you are. Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. He says, you're either children of darkness or children of light. You're either sheep or goats. I won't go into that one. You're either children of the world or children of God. You're either dead or you're alive. The Bible's very stark about that. Very black and white. Now we know it's not quite as simple as that. There's very much lots of greys. We're all on a journey, hopefully from darkness to light. But some of you might be going from light to darkness, which is not a good direction to be going in. But ultimately there is a key difference in your definition of who you are when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. When you accept the Holy Spirit into your life, you become a new creation. 
The old is gone, the new has come. Yes, you may describe yourself in similar ways. I'm a man. I'm married to Jen. I've got three children. I'm leading a church. Your description may be very similar, but your definition has fundamentally changed. Who are you? Who are you? Not your description, but your definition. Because if your faith, your Christianity, your church going is just an addition to your description, then you haven't grasped what becoming a follower of Jesus Christ truly is. If you want to let your light shine, if you want to make a difference, if you want to build God's kingdom, you need to know who you are. Because who you are leads to action. Who you are forms your decisions and your opinions. Who you are anchors your life. Who you are is the foundation for your life. Don't build your life on your description, on your jobs, on your families, on your gender, on your hobbies. Build your life on your definition. You're a child of God. You're a child of light. You are loved by a heavenly father who has saved you and who does not lie. He keeps his promises And we therefore have hope in eternity. Who are you? Just want you to be quiet for a moment. And ask yourself that question, who are you? If you take away all those descriptive things, ultimately, who are you?